Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. 
Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Those of you who have an outline in front of you may notice that we are taking one week off from our series that we're at about uh, part 44 called The Eight Essential Elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel. And the reason for this is that when I found out yesterday that John and, and uh, Emily were sick and weren't going to be here and that I was going to do both messages, I already had uh, a birthday party in the afternoon, a missions thing in Marysville, Ohio in the evening, uh, breakfast this morning and at that great uh, location, Bob Evans. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so I basically... Uh, Knew I would be pulling an all-nighter, but I wouldn't be able to get both messages done unless I uh, bit off something a little easier. And so what I just decided to do was I thought about uh, kind of a theme for me is I see a lot of Christians who are really enjoying God's fullness for their life, and I see a lot of Christians who aren't. And I see a lot of Christians who are struggling with various things. And so I, I decided to, to choose two of maybe the seven to ten most important subjects I can think of that really hold people back. And so this one I uh, titled, Do Not Take the Bait, Do Not Get Trapped, Live the Shootout Lifestyle. And this, in my opinion, is one of the most important of all true life lessons you can learn. You need to not only learn it conceptually, but you need to live it. And I'm going to hopefully share a little testimony of a time in my life when I didn't live this and all the trouble it caused me so that uh, it can make it even more real. So I want to start with just a few scriptures. Third John, uh, I put chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, because, but Third John only has one chapter. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in truth. Now this is a, book, uh, a verse that a lot of prosperity gospel people uh, rip out of context and use for their own profit and so forth. But, it's a, but nevertheless, it's a scripture and we have to come to grips with it. Um, God wants your soul life, the Greek word suke has to do with your mind, your will, your emotions, your affections, the things you like. You know, some people like art, some people like pets, some people like dancing. Uh, but it has to do with what your, uh, your, your affections and, and your will and your emotions and your mental processes. God wants those to be healthy for you. And um, so another verse that I like a lot is John 10.10. 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. My goal as a pastor is several fold. But one of my goals in, in anyone that I'm having Bible studies with, going for walks, discipling, and so forth, is I want you to have an abundant life. 
So, hey, Paul, give, uh, or give, give Kyle, just tell them what you need for help, and they'll help you out there. Um, so, um, I meet Christians who are struggling with anger, depression, whatever. I really actually had four counseling sessions this week where this became, was an issue. And I, what, uh, it was an issue for me as a young Christian, and I'm going to share a little testimony of that as we go. But what I want to do is kind of help equip and empower you to live above uh, disappointment, unforgiveness, resentment. Uh, I always say you have to be illusioned in the first place to become disillusioned. <laughs> so um, uh, so let's, let's just keep pressing on into a bunch of scriptures here. Then we'll open these up as we go. Hebrews 12, 15 through 16 is a very critical verse. If you don't have this verse memorized, you really should. Everybody should have this verse memorized. Uh, see to it. In other words, you actually have the grace in your life to make this happen. He's telling you, you see to it. It's your responsibility to make sure that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no, zero, nada, nothing, zip, no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Now we tend to think of uh, selling your birthright for a single meal as like gluttony or drunkenness or using drugs or committing sexual sin or something. But the context here is clear. To actually embrace a root of bitterness is to sell your whole inheritance for a little bit of a false comfort that, that lies to you and tells you that if I hold this unforgiveness or bitterness toward this person, there's some sort of a, you know soothing of my soul, but in fact, it's the ultimate trap. It's the ultimate trap. And you can basically see like Christians who become quick to forgive, slow to anger, gracious, uh, always thinking the best of their brothers and sisters, uh, assuming the best instead of assuming the worst, hard to offend instead of easily offended, those people live at what the Bible calls in a broad place or at liberty, as the Psalms call it. People who struggle with this constantly get trapped into a narrow universe, in a sense, into a self-centered trap that, that has a lot of pain, a lot of uh, depression, anger. Depression is actually anger uh, turned inward. So, this is I I if 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 there was uh, twenty verses that you should memorize, this would have to be on that list. See to it. In other words, this is something that by the grace of God you must do. That no one, nobody. Come short of the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and many, and by it many be defiled. Revelation twelve nine through ten. Um, again, there's different perspectives on Revelation, but taking the perspective of one of the five major perspectives on Revelation, taking the perspective that it's that it has to do with eternal truths that are always happening in the universe. Uh, the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil. And the word devil is diabolos, and it means the slanderer. He's always like, pss, 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 
I just want to tell you about. <laughs> so, you know, he's the slanderer. Um, and, uh, and Satan, which means the adversary or the opponent of God, and how he po- opposes God is by slandering. He deceives the whole world, and he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren. That's what he is. He is that thing that rises up in your heart and your spirit that says, They have a bad, you know, they think badly of me or they, whatever. It just causes you to think the worst instead of the best about people. That's his ministry to you. He will always be whispering accusations against the Lord, against yourself. There, that's why you have to learn to walk, walk in no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And condemnation is just listening to the accuser of the brethren toward yourself. And he will oppose your brothers and sisters in Christ. And this, this, listen to this. You've got to get this. You, you will never grow up in the Lord if you don't get this. If this does not become a part of your way of life, you will be a baby Christian for the rest of your life. And you will always be in bondage and in trouble and uh, have emotional problems, uh, financial problems. You'll have lots of problems if you don't get what I'm about to say. To the degree that God wants to use someone in your life, to that degree you'll have spiritual warfare in the form of accusations against them. Because the enemy doesn't just randomly want to accuse. He doesn't care if you're upset at some drunkard or some ungodly politician. Or There's plenty of them to be upset at. But uh, <laughs> no shortage this year. And, uh, but what he cares about is separating you from that spiritual authority that, that, can, that can set you free from that that group that could care for you, that community that you're supposed to be part of, where God's destined you to become, where your soul to prosper and for you to become whole. And he does it by accusing this or that brother to you. Okay? So, uh, the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them before God day and night. He never stops. One thing about spiritual warfare is there's no time out. Okay? You can't, like, put your helmet on and, and then the, the battle stops. It never stops. He accuses uh, God to you and questions God's motivations and whether God loves you and whether he's good and his covenants and so forth day and night. He tries to put condemnation on you day and night. He accuses people to you, especially the people God wants to use to set you free, day and night. And you have to see to it that you don't allow that to happen, is what Hebrews 12 is saying. Moving on, Luke 17, 1a, I decided to give this one to you in four translations and give you the Greek, because this is important. He said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. Notice that was also in Matthew 18. Guess what? It's inevitable that people, that stumbling blocks are going to come, but the Greek is that it's inevitable that people are going to offend you. Your wife is not always going to speak nice and kind and loving (laughs) every minute. 
and he married. <laughs> All the brothers go, amen. No, no, no. And, and uh, vice versa. <laughs> Your roommate is not always in the spirit. <laughs> Your roommate doesn't walk around the apartment with two or three other guys going, hello, loves. Join our crusade of love. Why can't we just love one another? <laughs> Let's all love together. Let's have a group hug. Uh, it, you know, life isn't like that. Um, then he said to his disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come. That's the new King James. I like that. It's impossible that no offenses should come. You're going to be offended. Guess what? Because part of God's goal is that you would become like Christ. And Christ was denied by first, by he was betrayed by Judas. Then he was denied by all his disciples who fled. And then his top-notch disciple who said, I'll never deny you, denied him three times with cursing and swearing. I don't even know Sidney. Never heard of him. I don't hang out with that. No, you know, Grace Christian Fellowship people? No, 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 I'm not part of those knuckleheads. <laughs> Them Christians? Jesus freaks? No, no, not me. It's inevitable that offenses will come. This was actually something that uh, God took to a whole different level of understanding for me just a year ago or so. I'm sitting on the back deck talking with my wife, and she was really on this theme for a while that everyone will be offended. Just so you want to, you know, like you want to be able to, you know, like t today in the, prosperity gospel thing there's a lot of like claim the promises so that's a promise you can proclaim you will be offended <laughs> people will will poop on you people will treat you badly people will say insensitive things to you i'll be telling you a story of but your your roommate's mother will call you every morning at 10 after 8 <laughs> you know when he's already gone to class. I mean, you just, you know, uh, you know, we have people in our lives, whether they're parents, siblings, roommates, bosses, brothers or sisters in the fellowship that just aren't fully Christ-like. Imagine that. If you can imagine that. And uh, Luke, uh, ESV says, and his disciples said, temptations to sin are sure to come. But really, the uh, Geneva Bible and the New King James probably have it the best. Then said he to his disciples, it cannot be avoided, but that offenses will come. Guess what? You can't avoid it. Now, the Greek for offenses are translated stumbling blocks. And probably, that's the ESV is a great translation, but it's probably a little weak on this verse because the Greek word scandalon is the word we get scandal from. It's inevitable that people are going to scandalize you. Gosh, I thought those people in that church were spiritual. And then I saw the guy yelling at his wife. <laughs> you know, they wasn't very spiritual. I'm shocked. I thought they were godly people. Guess what? If I haven't disappointed you yet, I will. <laughs> That's a promise you can take to the bank. And, uh, <laughs> and if someone next to you hasn't disappointed you yet, they will. <laughs> and if they haven't talked to you in a, in a way that was less than loving, kind, gracious, 
and in the Spirit, if they talked to you in some sinful way, Jesus promised they would. So the word, this is why this is important, because the word scandal means a trap, a snare. It's uh, actually a trap stick, a kind of trap that had a stick in it that would, you know, catch the uh, prey. Uh, occasion to fall, offense, thing that offends, stumbling block, any impediment placed in the way and causing one to stumble or fall, a stumbling block, occasion of stumbling, a rock which is a cause of stumbling, figuratively applied to Jesus. If you remember, we talked a couple weeks ago about the scandal of the cross and how the Bible says that Jesus is an offense. He's a scandal to Jews. Religious people just are scandalized by who the real Jesus is. The real Jesus would not be welcome at most of our fundamentalist churches today. He'd be a scandal to them. He hang, hung around with all the wrong kinds of people, for one thing. <laughs> and then he went drinking wine and eating and going to parties and creating 120 to 180 gallons of wine at the wedding of Canaan after the wine had already run out. He was a scandal to, to religious people. But he was the holiest man who ever lived. Uh, the word is applied to Jesus because the contrary expectations that the Jews had concerning the Messiah, he was, they, they rejected him because of their contrary expectations. They could not believe, uh, because Deuteronomy says, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, they could not believe that a godly person would be punished by God the way Jesus was. They couldn't understand the passion of Christ. It was a scandal. If he was from God, he would not have suffered like that, was their mindset, because they were prosperity gospel people. They, I almost want to mention a particular preacher that's sort of the height of this nonsense that Bradbury gets upset at because he lives in a $4 million house, but <laughs> and so forth. Uh, you know, they, Jesus wouldn't like, uh, they wouldn't like Jesus very much. Psalm 55, 12 through 14. This is, this is a really an important one for you to think about. Uh, this is David. You know what's great about the Psalms? Proverbs teach you wisdom for making good life decisions. Psalms teach you how to love God, relate to God, worship God, pray to God, know God, experience God. Psalms are about, about what it means to walk with God. And David, in this Psalm, says... For it is not, and he's actually prophesying of Christ, by the way. This is a, a messianic psalm that he's basically explaining what Jesus went through at the Last Supper, at the Garden of Gethsemane, at his trial, at his crucifixion. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Aren't the deepest wounds people you that you bonded with, that you were expecting... You know, one of the reasons we have such, you know, because we're in the third generation of what they call the culture of divorce, uh, we have a lot of people who are wounded deeply because their expectations were, my dad and mom were supposed to love God, love each other, and, 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 and bring me up right. And they totally couldn't get it together. They hated God, each other, and they did a lot of damage to me. Well... Jesus never asked you to walk through something that he didn't walk through. That's what I love about walking with Christ. 
This is a messianic song. This is what Jesus went through. For it is not an enemy who approaches me. Then I could bear it. Nor does one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hand, hide myself from him. But it is you, a man of my equal, my companion and my familiar friend, we who had sweet fellowship together, walked in the house of God in the throng. Now, that's exactly what Jesus was, what Judas was to Jesus. That's what Peter was to Jesus. That's what all the disciples you know how at the end of the Gospel of Mark, when they come for him in the Gospel in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it says there was a young man that fled naked because he's ducked out of his sheet, that was Mark himself. And he had, was a young man whose mother was one of the primary supporters of Christ. And uh, in the book of Acts, several of the key events happened at John Mark's mother's house. And John Mark, later, when traveling with Paul, chickened out and went back, right? Remember, and Paul's first missionary journey? So John Mark, actually, when, when push came to shove, when, when, the, when, when it was a matter of life and death, when they were about to be in danger, he not only fled in the Garden of Gethsemane, he fled from the Paul's first missionary journey. Now, just to give you some hope, later Paul, uh, Paul and Barnabas split over whether to take John Mark because Paul thought John Mark wasn't restored enough and wasn't ready and it was too quick of a restoration. That's one of the major mistakes we make in Christianity today. Guy may, commits major sins and he gets up and cries, and, I'm so sorry, and, and then he just c continues on. That's a mistake. The other mistake is we shoot our wounded and they can never be restored. And the biblical truth is that John Mark took years to be restored. However... In the end, he was both Peter and Paul's disciple, and he wrote the Gospel of Mark, commissioned by Peter to do so. You can't get any more spiritual than that toward the end of his life. That gives you great hope if you've struggled or had fa or fallen. It took years, but John Mark became a, a stellar Christian in the New Testament church, so stellar that he wrote one of the books of the New Testament. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, uh, Paul is talking about to Timothy. He's discipling Timothy, who he calls his son. In both First and Second Timothy, he calls Timothy his true child or son. Technon is the Greek. Um, and he's telling Timothy this, The Lord's doulos or bondservant must not be quarrelsome. Ever known any people who are quarrelsome? They just like to get in fights about how much they know and stuff. But be kind to all. Able to teach, patient when wronged. Isn't that a good thing? With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Not like, what's the matter with you, dumb knucklehead? <laughs> with gentleness, not, not necessarily saying, oh, I just feel for you. And, you know, but you do have to correct them. You do have to so forth. But you can do it patiently, with, gently, with much patience and instruction, Paul says to Timothy and other places. Uh, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they might come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. And what is the snare of the devil? Being unforgiving, being bitter, jumping to the, wrong, the negative conclusion about everybody all the time. And that's what the Bible calls being held captive to do Satan's will. 
Now, the Greek word there for snare is a different Greek word. It's the word pages, and it means a trap. It's fashioned by a noose or a notch, hangman's noose. Figuratively, a trick or a strategy or stratagem of the devil, a temptation, a snare. It's used of a snare, trap, noose, of snares which birds are entangled and caught. It implies unexpectedly, suddenly, because birds and beasts are caught unawares, a snare is whatever brings peril, loss, destruction of a sudden and unexpected deadly peril. Here's how it works. You come to the Lord. You get in a good fellowship of Christians. You think, oh, these are, I found some really good Christians, and I'm really enjoying this church. And Oh, we have good brotherhood, and we go to Chipotle together, Bob Evans. And <laughs> I got both my Bob Evans guys right here. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and then, then they offend you, or you offend them. And because you've opened up your spirit and you're more bonded, it hurts all the more. It'd be one thing, that's what the psalmist is saying, if it was my enemy that approached me. But it's my own wife, <laughs> you know, my kids. <laughs> you know, it's Pastor Greg who said that nasty, harsh thing to me. It happens. Try not to. But... Right? And so, like, what's going to make or break your walk with God is what you do when that happens. Because it's inevitable that it will happen. And most people never commit to a church, and they never grow up in the Lord, because they can never get past that process. Not most people, but some people. You will never grow up in the Lord until you realize that we're going to talk about God's ways in a minute. God actually purposely does that. He blesses you or afflicts you with roommates, spouses, kids, uh, brothers and sisters in the church, according to your need to be offended until you're unoffendable. And it's kind of a sad thing to say, but if you understand the ways of God, people who have the most hurt in their life and have a tendency to have a lot of deep hurt and have been treated badly with their parents breaking up and all kind of things, they go through the most of this and they get like, why me all the time, Lord? Because the Lord loves you and because there's no way out except to have people mistreat you and learn to be quick to forgive quick to think the best, quick to go and talk it through and do what Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 18 say, to go and say, gee, it seemed like you had a bad attitude when you said this to me and it hurt my feelings. Can we talk about it? And then when you get it all worked out, you grow. And if you avoid that process, you'll never grow. Never. Never. It's impossible. It's against the laws of spiritual dynamics. You have more chance of jumping off the Empire State Building and flying, which some people under the influence of LSD or whatever have thought they could do, but, but they couldn't. <laughs> they they uh, met the ground real fast. It's this big a deal. Proverbs 18.1 says, He who separates himself seeks his own desire, he quarrels, that is, he fights against all sound wisdom. Like, I, these people offend me, I'm going to sit further away, or I'm not going to join the choir because the choir people offended me, or, you know, I'm not going to be a part of the, this outreach because they offended me, and, that, and I'm going to avoid this brother because he offended me, and so forth. And it's a trap. 
It's Satan's most desirable trap. He's licking his chops, wanting to keep you there. And this is why people leave churches who never even talked to the elders of the church about what was going on. You know, Beth has known some people that it broke her heart that they basically, she's ministering to them and they, they took an offense at somebody and then just left without ever dealing with it because what, we're at, what we have in America Christianity today is we have this kind of theoretical conceptual faith, but we don't have this idea that what it means to trust God and have faith is to actually follow the Bible as a way of life. You got to do it. And I, I, I watch the people who five years, ten years, you know, we have some guys that have been with us since 2005, seven, nine, who haven't grown much, and other guys that have just been with us a couple years, and they've grown a lot, and this is usually the issue. The, the ones that don't grow are separate themselves and seek their own desire and kind of keep everything in and keep at a certain distance and don't really take the initiative to work through relational stuff. And a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. Wow. In other words, you know, you might as well launch an attack on the city of Dayton and conquer it militarily. That's easier than winning someone who takes offenses. Because you can never get past that until the person decides that I'm going to see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and that, and that I'm not defiled and no one else is defiled because I'm going to see to it that it never happens. And there's grace in God to make that choice. Psalm 105, uh, 16 through 21 says, He called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. This is a summary of the life of Joseph. Remember, his brothers sold him into slavery. Now, you might have got offended at that if you were Joseph. And they told his dad that he was dead. And they put blood on his multicolored coat so his dad would think he was dead. And they said, we're finally done with that guy. <laughs> we sold him to the Egyptians. We'll never hear from him again. That's what they thought. But Reuben talked him out of killing him because that was God's sovereign purpose. So uh, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He, would, you know, they, he was in irons in the prison. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. What word? The, the dream that he'd had. He made him lord of his house, that is Pharaoh did, and ruler over all his possessions, that's what I want to talk about now is the ways of God. Uh, well, we may get to these other verses, but I, I want you to understand something. You will be offended, and the more hurt, rejection, and the more people have crapped on your life, the more you'll be offended more often. Because that's God's love gift to you, because it's your stepping stone to freedom. Every time... It's just like, what does a pornography addict need? He needs temptations <laughs> because every time he overcomes it, he starts breaking that wall down. Same thing with temptations to be bitter, unforgiving, so forth. God will make sure when you have a problem with that that you'll have plenty of brothers, sisters, 
bosses, cousins, friends, uncles, aunts, and everybody will offend you and treat you badly. And that's God's love for you. <laughs> every promise in the book is mine. Every jot, every tittle, every line. That's a silly old Christian song. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fire or ordeal that comes upon you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. That's why you got that, boss. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on earth, refined seven times. The only way out from hurt, rejected, unforgiveness, and bitterness. Now, I'm going to tell you my own story. I came to Christ when I was 17. Went through four and a half months, five months of studying scripture, 10 hours a day, had read the whole New Testament ten times by the time I was four months in the Lord. Had demons cast out of me four or five times. I was casting demons out. And I was, I was on fire and growing. I knew the Bible better than the pastors when I was six months old in the Lord. Because of the way God saved me and how hungry I was for the things of God. And then I, I had a, a controlling, troubled... Uh, background on a certain side of my family and so forth with a lot of hurt and rejection and so forth. So one summer, uh, for some reason, God directed me to read all these books about this subject, the importance of forgiveness and being quick to forgive and how to not fall into unforgiveness and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, oh man, I've read five books on this. I really know my stuff on this now. And then I went back to college and I had a roommate that I didn't know very well. He was a Christian guy who asked me if he could room together. I'm thinking, he's a Christian. What could go wrong? <laughs> and he was like, hell. <laughs> you know, like he was the hardest guy to live with you'd ever want to know. <laughs> Catherine knew the guy pretty well. And, you know, not only did he always smell and he never washed his clothes and his feet and he ground his teeth really loud all night and, uh, you know, and uh, he had this really controlling mother and so he, he would, I actually worked as a night guard in the dorms and so I went to bed at 6.30 and I got up at 8.30 every night, two hours sleep, so, and that's how I, because I had to work my way through college. I didn't have gravy train or whatever. That was God's sovereignty. And he had an 8 o'clock class, so he would leave at 10 minutes to 8. And at 10 minutes after 8, his mother would call on the phone. And back then, those days, the phones were on the walls, and they were loud ringers, and that you couldn't disable them. And I'd have to jump out of bed and every morning try to patiently explain, no, he's not here because he leaves at 10 minutes to 8, and you always call at 10 minutes after 8, which means I have to interrupt the only two hours of sleep I get to answer your phone call and explain this to you for the 35th day in a row. And uh, I wish I could tell you I was God's man of faith and power, but as the year went on, I actually got so angry and bitter at this guy that I began to fantasize about pummeling him. I would be like, when he comes into the room, I'm just going to grab him and punch him. And, and I, you know, I even went to my pastor and asked, him, be, if, do you think it would be biblical if I just beat the crap out of him? I think it would help him. <laughs> you know? And the pastor said, no, 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 you can't do that. <laughs> And uh, he was a squirrely guy. And uh, he, I could have taken him, which is uh, unusual. But, uh, but you know, uh, it was amazing, though, as this bitterness grew in my heart, all of a sudden, many temptations, sexually and otherwise, uh, after about six months of this, began to come back to my life that I had not dealt with in a couple of years. 
because I had cut myself off from the grace of God by embracing unforgiveness, bitterness, and resentment. Do you hear this? Now, God in his grace redeems even our failures. So I can tell you by the grace of God, I've never fallen into unforgiveness or bitterness, and I've had some Christians treat me pretty badly over the years. Some of you know some of the stories. I've had pastors come to me and go, I can't believe how badly these Christians treated you. I've never heard of anything like this. I'm like, oh, well, I love them. I forgive them. Because you know what? They're not worth falling into that trap. I'm not doing them any harm by being unforgiving, angry, or bitter toward them. I'm just destroying myself. And I just can't do that. And I'm hoping you get this because you can't do it. Now, what Matthew 18 teaches us is this. When you're, if you're in a church, you can go to the brother and you can do what I call the shootout principle. So I, I, I want to end by making sure you know the shootout principle. Think of two guys, or gals, or a guy and a gal, it doesn't matter, behind walls with guns. And they're upset at each other. Now, the standard evangelical response is both of them stay behind the wall and don't shoot at each other and make up religious reasons why. Well, Jesus just wants me to love him, be kind, and I'm praying for him. And, and, and that, that's what I call VRG, verbalized religious garbage. I could call it stronger, but uh, something stronger, but we, it's scubalon. <laughs> and they're both very spiritual about it. But they're both rebelling against God and they're basically sticking their middle finger up in the air towards Jesus, actually. Ooh, that's pretty radical. They're refusing to do what God has told them to do. And clearly in his word. And they just don't join the choir group that they're in or they sit on the... If you're in a big enough church, you can just sit in a different part of the auditorium. You might never have to deal with them. All right? That's how husbands and wives get living in the same house and they don't even talk to each other or, have, or know each other or have any intimacy anymore. Happens all the time. And every once in a while, one of them blows up at the other one and curses a little bit and then they go back to their separate corners and their separate lives. Happens all the time. And some of them have enough biblical integrity to not get divorced, but they can't stand each other. And there's no love and there's no relationship and there's, there's nothing because they never worked out root problems that grew into trees of bitterness. The second uh, one is much more spiritual. That's where person A shoots person B and person B being humble, maybe they're from a lot of on Vesh's culture, or, or Sam Chen Poon's, a lot, a lot of Eastern people would be this way. Very deferential and respectful and so forth. You're right, I'm a loser. You're right, I was too arrogant. You're right, I shouldn't have done that, and so forth. And guy A is just like feeling pretty good. <laughs> Squirrels him around. Man, straighten him out. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> 
Bring me another one. <laughs> and guy B thinks, I'm really spiritual because I admitted I was proud. I was in, I, you know, da, 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 da. Guess what? That's not the will of God either. It, it leads to nothing. Guy B may get some benefit. Guy A got no benefit. In fact, he actually got deceived. Because of Guy, guy B's so-called deferential loving humility. The third way is guy A and guy B both stand up from behind the wall and blast the heck out of each other. Boom, boom, you're a loser. You're, yeah, well, you're arrogant. Well, you're fat. Well, you're bald. <laughs> you know, you're stupid. Your mother is a communist. <laughs> you know, what it, what it, you know, whatever. And, uh, And, uh, and so they're both bloody as heck. But neither one of them benefited. They just got it off their chest. Felt a lot better after I took them down a few pegs and let them know what I, what I you know, and boy, I, I get good points because honesty is a good thing. Man, was I honest. You're a loser. <laughs> you got bad breath besides. You know, that does no good. Both end up hurt, damaged, bitter, resentful, and without the grace of God. And, and, and it starts to spread to other people, and many in the church get defiled. That's how churches split. Since, do you know the first official church split was in 1054 A.D. called the Great Schism? The second one was in 1517 to 1520 called the Reformation. We now have 85,000 denominations. Because, mostly because of this shootout principle, not being obeyed. That Jesus clearly teaches in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 18. I don't know why I didn't put Matthew 5 and 6 in there. Uh, late at night, I missed it. How it's supposed to work is A and B stand up and take turns. Well, you were pretty insensitive there. And you, I, are not to be trusted. And so forth. And guy B says, you're right. I'm sorry. But did you know how that person perceived you when you told them they were stupid? <laughs> you know, or you were a little harsh on our son, don't you think? Both people shoot, and both people allow themselves to be shot. Now, that's what Proverbs means in Proverbs 27 when it says, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That will lead to relational maturity, a unified church, and your growth in Christ. Because you'll have to grow to the cross to be shot, and sometimes you have to go to the cross and work the courage up to, to speak the truth. Speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15, we are to grow up in all aspects into Christ, right? So you're, now, what Matthew 18 clearly says, notice some of the things, if, if you go to your brother 
and you do the shrewd out principle and he listens to you, you've won the argument. Is that what it says? You've won the relationship. Now, if guy B refuses to listen and he's willing to shoot but not be shot, or vice versa, and you try it a couple, three times, then you go get some help. Because one of the things I've always discovered, like when you have three or four single guys living in a house and one guy thinks it's all the other three's problem, it's usually not. <laughs> you know, and so sometimes bringing in someone of older spiritual maturity, uh, hopefully an elder of the church or someone that the church, that, you know, we have a leadership team so that be, and, and they're, they, people know who they are because they're people who are qualified to be on the leadership team. And they can help you with this process. And if you don't do this process, it'll kill you. Kill you. It's the worst thing that could ever happen to you. And that's why some people are shy year after year after year. Some people are outgoing and, and belligerent and so forth, but they're not, but they're not humble and, and they don't give and take in relationships. They're just dominate relationships or whatever. And you, you, have to, you have to learn to do this. You cannot grow up in life. You cannot keep a marriage together. You cannot raise your kids. You cannot be a good member of a church if you don't live the shootout principle. You will forever struggle with depression, anger, pouting, uh, shallowness, you name it. And you'll constantly be separated for the purpose of God for your life. Constantly. And you'll always move on to somewhere else or some other situation. Or you might stay living together or stay in the same church, but you only have certain people that you like to be around with and you don't like to hang out with these guys. Embrace your critics the most. Embrace the people that offend you the most. That's why I got married. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, my poor wife has become a saint just by having to live with me. <laughs> She's probably saved my works by now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, not so. But uh And you know, when Jesus tells this, like this thing about winning your brother, the disciples are so incredulous, they say, Well, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seventy times seven? <laughs> Now, some of you are in those calculus classes in upper math, and you can quickly go, oh, 70 times 7, that's 490. And boy, this guy's at 493 by now. <laughs> 7 is a number of perfection. 70, it, it, the Bible takes things to the 10th power to say infinite. What Jesus means is you forgive him an infinite number of times. If you're still counting when you get to 490, you miss the whole point. Now, I'm past schedule, but John's not here to yell at me, so I'm going to tell you one more thing. Do you get this shirt out principle? I beg of you, live this, because you'll sit there by yourself in your own little world for the rest of your life if you don't start to live this. You'll never be able to hold a marriage together or any other deep, intimate, ongoing, long-standing personal relationships. Not doing the shootout principle is what's behind every divorce, every troubled marriage, and every church split. 
this is one of the most important things I could teach you in the whole universe. Now, I want to end by teaching you one more thing. There's humanistic forgiveness and there's biblical forgiveness. There's a whole CD or a whole podcast about that under uh, summer disciple making on our podcast from the stuff I taught a bunch of leaders this summer. But here's the basic difference. Our culture, even in churches, teaches humanistic forgiveness. And that's where I say, oh, I forgive Sam because the sun was in his eyes and he got up on the wrong side of the bed that day and he had a tough, if you ever knew his brother or you know, whatever, and that guy at Arby's, oh my God, no wonder he screwed up. <laughs> and, and I make all kinds of excuses for the person. But I'm not forgiving them. I'm rationalizing away their behavior. We'll turn the tables around since Sam's too easy to, I mean, who could not? If, you, if you're having troubles forgiving Sam, you really got troubles. But <laughs> he's a, Sam's a loving, nice guy. Who could have troubles forgiving Sam? Somebody can. I mean, when you, people who take offense easily get offended by amazing, sometimes with people that are, you go like, how could they be offended by that person? <laughs> you know. So, but everyone gets offended by me, so I'll turn it around. So Sam's offended at me. <laughs> and uh, if you haven't been offended by me, you just haven't lived. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's one of great, life's great joys. But, uh, so Sam, instead of saying, well, Greg had a controlling mother, and Greg probably had a lot on his plate, and he's got so many responsibilities, and Sam making all kinds of excuses for me. He says, Greg shouldn't have said that. That was too harsh. It was sinful, and it was uh, it, totally in the wrong context, and he jumped to conclusions or whatever he has to shoot me about. <laughs> right? And then and I say, you're right. Man, I was a blankety-blank, S-O-blankety-blank, and, <laughs> and uh, I was a jerk, and I'm sorry, Sam, I'm, I'm going to do better. And Sam says, yeah, you were really wicked, you were really evil, and I decide not to hold it to your account. I tear up the IOU. I will treat you as if you never did that, and I will, I will not withhold my spirit from you or my fellowship. I will restore our fellowship. And... We'll, and we'll uh, go on as intimate brothers in the Lord. That's biblical forgiveness. Now, I do want you to understand that this can be done in a covenant community that has plurality of elders and some definition of the church. It can't be done in every family, certainly can't be done in every place of employment, so forth. So sometimes you need to kind of take more of the Joseph approach that, this jerk boss, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to be thankful for him every day, and I'm going to praise God that I have this jerk boss. I, I lived, worked in this factory. It was a horrible year, and, uh, you know, constantly, in all, I wish I had time to tell you the whole story, but I began to thank God for that job every day and say, Lord, if you want me to work with these people who are tr treating me badly and wrecking the heck, like driving their car, monster trucks through my spirit every 10 minutes. If you want me to live with these people and work with them the rest of my life, I'm going to be thankful, joyful, and praise you for it every day. And I did that consistently for quite a few months. And then one day, God spoke to me and said, I want you to go back and get a master's degree in history. 
Now, the elders of our church were pretty practical guys, so I thought when I shared that with them, they would go, what the heck is wrong with you? You knucklehead, there's no jobs for anyone who got some master's in history. That's a pretty stupid career choice. Are you still on drugs? Or, <laughs> But I shared it with the elders, and they said, you know, we think that's the, that's the plan of God for your life. And besides, the senior pastor is going back for a master's, so you'll be in all the same classes, and, and our, our friendship was forged in those classes. But I had to be thankful every day and joyful and rejoicing for months before God released me to move on to the next step. When it was clear that if I lived there 40 years, I'd still be thankful and rejoicing and, and happy about it. Now, if you get what I said this morning, it will change your life more than probably any other thing I could have taught on. We'll be back in a few minutes. Amen.